Hey, it's Doug Bursch here, and you're listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. So why won't people apologize? Why won't they admit that they're wrong, that they made a mistake? What's the deal with repentance? Why do people defend other people when they're clearly in the wrong? I got a lot of thoughts on this. I got a lot of frustrations on this. Today's show, we're going to talk about repentance, apologizing, admitting we're wrong. What's the deal on The Fairly Spiritual Show? They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through, but you've spoken by your word, your Holy Spirit's leading me, you are my only one, you're the only one worth living for, so I'm dreams with you well uh, I'd like to start the show off by saying I'm sorry I'm sorry interesting term right uh, it can be one of the most meaningless terms that we could ever use and one of the most powerful terms in fact uh, you can go into a Starbucks and hear the words I'm sorry or I'm sorry about that maybe 10 times depending upon how your order goes I often notice that uh, you know, I'll be like, I'd like a, a venti drip. By the way, I'm using my addiction to Starbucks as a sermon illustration right now, or as a show illustration. I uh, have a little bit of a problem. Uh, excuse me, I'm not addicted. I just choose to drink coffee every day. But, you know, when you go into Starbucks or some other place that you might go to, uh, you know, I'll say, I'd like a venti drip coffee. Uh, bold. And then the person will go, I'm sorry, we're out of bold. Can I give you Pike? And then I'll say, uh, yeah, you know, Pike's fine and say something clever. Like, it doesn't matter. I don't want to pour over. And they'll say, I'm sorry, I can do a pour over if you want. And I'm like, no, no, it's fine. I don't want you to waste your time with that. And they go, it's no problem at all. I go, no, 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 it's fine. Just give me a Pike. I don't really have that discerning of taste. And they'll give me the coffee and say, uh, again, I'm sorry. And, you know, you'll get maybe like five sorries. And when people do that, Sometimes I'll joke around and say, well, you should be sorry. I'm very upset. And I'll say it in a polite way. And if they have any kind of sense of humor at all, they'll smile. And we'll take note of the fact that they really don't need to be that sorry about my Venti Drip coffee. If they don't have a sense of humor, then it's awkward. And then they look at me like I've rejected their apology. And then I have to say, I'm sorry that I did not communicate clearly enough. And, you know, so we can just say, I'm sorry, back and forth. And it can just be just probably one of the most, I don't know, least meaningful things that we say in polite company in our culture. However, I'm sorry can be a profound statement as well. A statement that some of us have never heard from the people that matter the most to us in our life, or the people who should matter the most to us in our life. 
And so I wanted to talk a little bit about apologies or apologizing, repentance, saying I'm sorry. And uh, I want to give you some thoughts on why I think people don't apologize, why apologizing is crucial, and it's one of the reasons why uh, our political system is so godless. I don't think that you can have a leader lead any group of people, whether it's a family, a marriage, a small group, a church, a state, a nation. I don't think you can have any leader lead with any moral integrity if they refuse to apologize. So, for instance, uh, President Trump, in my opinion, has no moral authority. And it's not about his opinions on whether we should have certain tax reform or his views on gun control, his views on whether we should have a wall or not. Just the fact that he does not believe that he ever has to apologize and that he never apologizes makes it so that he has no moral authority in my book. He has done, since I've known him, I didn't follow Donald Trump before he came into the political sphere. I watched a few of those Apprentice shows. I wish I hadn't. But uh, what I've seen from him, and from him, not from how people present him, but just from his tweets and from his how he presents himself, and he's even said this, like he's mentioned that he doesn't believe he needs to ask for forgiveness, which is the definition of believing you don't need to apologize. Uh, he just does not admit to mistakes. He does not admit to failings. He does not admit to faults. He doesn't apologize in any meaningful way about anything of substance. This week, for instance, uh, today, today is, what is today? Today is Wednesday. Uh, I woke up today and uh, looked to see what he was tweeting because I got to see if this world's still going to be here tomorrow. Um, he decided to retweet from an extremist far right, a British far right site, you know, the, the levels at which we go, wow, I never thought we'd experience this, but some extremist far right British site, uh, videos of supposed uh, Muslim extremism. But he, he retweeted a post that's supposedly showing Muslims beating up uh, a, a man on crutches or crutches. Uh, it's not a true uh, video. The video is not of that. It's, I guess it's of two Dutch people beating up another Dutch person on crutches. It has nothing to do with Muslims. So it's just false. So there's so many things wrong with that. It's just wrong that he's inflaming. Uh, it's just wrong, even if everything was correct, that that's how he's leading our nation. But what is particularly troubling is it's just fake. It's fake news. It's just not real. And so you could say, well, you made a mistake, right? You made a mistake. You thought something was real. It's not real. So what does a person of integrity do? Someone who is, whether they're a progressive or a conservative, libertarian, Green Party, Pastafarian, whatever they are, what does someone with integrity do? Well, they apologize. And their apology could be really uh, the whole spectrum. You know, they could be like, you know, I thought this was true. And now I realize it wasn't. So I apologize. They could even say, you know, I still believe this is an important issue. 
and there are other uh, videos and things out there that would justify my point, but this was not a true video, and I apologize for retweeting a false video. That's what someone with integrity would do. Someone without integrity would justify the lie or let the lie stand. Now, there's nothing political in me doing this. But we live in a world right now where we have uh, that what I just said there has somehow become like I'm an extremist. I'm that's being I'm being a radical by saying that people with integrity take responsibility for their actions. One of the saddest things you'll see is you'll see Christians do this. They'll say, oh, well, you know, he and I'm saying, you know, far right conservative Christians. Or I don't even know if they're far right conservative Christians because I really don't know what kind of Christian defends these things. But they'll say, well, you know, they'll pick someone that they think is opposite of Trump. They'll they'll pick some progressive or I don't know, whoever they want to pick. Well, you know, Nancy Pelosi. She didn't apologize for blah, blah, blah. And they don't say blah, blah, blah. That's, that's what they say in uh, those peanut cartoons. You know, wah, 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 wah. But they'll, they'll just put some example like, well, the left is immoral. As if that is a way to defend anything. Like, well, they're immoral, so we should be immoral. The fact that a Christian could even say that and not just go to their knees and say, what have I become? not just begin to weep and tear at their clothes and go, I am literally making a moral argument that it's okay for my guy to do something immoral because the people I don't like do immoral things. It's the same logic of saying, well, um, it's okay for us to murder people because they murder people. It's okay for us to, our guy to harass and rape people because your guys harass and rape people. In fact, some of those arguments are being made. It's, it's okay for our guy to sexually harass people because your guys sexually harass people. Those are literally the arguments that are being made. And all these arguments are being made instead of what should be done is that people begin to repent. They apologize. With the new information, they say, I am sorry. I realize with this information, with this truth, that I was wrong, that I'm wrong. With this new information, I realize either it's I did something wrong or I realize the person that I've supported has done something wrong. I was wrong to support this person. But what you're finding is people do not admit to being wrong. People don't admit to being wrong when they're confronted with the truth. Social media is an example of that. People can come out with just terrible attitudes terrible non-Christ-like attitudes, and if you confront that attitude, do they go, oh, you know, thank you. I'm so glad you confronted the fact that I'm not being very Christ-like. I apologize for the way that I was behaving. Now, most of the time, people just double down in their non-Christ-like attitude, and they just go at it and begin to fight, and there's more extremism and more polarized dialogue. Many people have just given up on the concept that anyone would ever repent or say they're sorry or admit that they're wrong. And so they just spend their time lobbing verbal grenades in each other's direction as they fortify their angry positions and polarize the dialogue to such extremism 
that no truth really can rise up or reconciliation is not even possible. Now, I should even thrown out the word reconciliation because I'm not talking about reconciliation. I'm just talking about the ability to admit that you have done something wrong and to apologize. We're seeing this all over the place that people are unwilling to apologize. And one of the main areas we see this is in our partisan culture. I believe, and, and I've talked about this for years. I did a radio show for years where I talked about this. And one of the reasons I went into Christian media, I went into media in general to talk about this, I believe that there is a partisan demon that the church is serving. It's a polarizing demon. Now, everyone has the right to have different political opinions. You know, there's nothing wrong with politics, having opinions. You can have an opinion about your view of tax structures or your view of how you organize society or how best we do things. There's nothing wrong with having those opinions or expressing those opinions, even passionately advocating for those opinions. But there is a demonic, and I would use demonic, there is a demonic partisan spirit in our culture that communicates opinions with the purpose of devouring, of dividing, of polarizing, of destroying. And I personally believe that there are many Christians serving that demon. And you can tell they're serving that demon is even when things get really bad, instead of focusing in on the bigger sin issues, instead of focusing in on the bigger truth issues, they immediately turn every news issue into another partisan, polarizing, divisive issue. So if they hear a story about harassment, and, and you know, in the last few weeks, we've heard about harassment on all sides of the political spectrum, of conservatives, of progressives, of, of every form, of every... We've heard men harassing women. It does not matter what political party they're in. It doesn't matter what they espoused. There has been tremendous abuse. And yet now, you still hear people that when they hear a story, if it's by someone from the other political party, they use it as a way to give some sort of partisan shot. They'll say some sort of thing like, well, I wonder how the left's going to respond to this, or I wonder how the right's going to respond to this. In my personal opinion, that is about as broken of a response as you could ever have. That someone, you've just found out that someone has been abused, that, that their life was radically altered by someone in power harming them. And every one of these abuse stories is that, that that some person, it's usually a woman, this woman's life, she, she had to leave a job because a person in a position of power abused their power. Or she had to stay in a job and be in a position where she was constantly in a th place where she was being threatened with some sort of physical abuse or the threat of physical abuse so she could keep her job. And her life the course of her life was being permanently threatened or changed or harmed because of a person in a position of power. You hear that story and your first response is to score some sort of partisan point? To say, well, you know, that's how progressives are. They're just a bunch of, or that's how them, you know, conservatives are. I cannot fathom how far that demon has rooted itself 
into the culture of your life if that's the first thing you think. The first thing we should be thinking is what? Well, empathy, empathetic and care for those who've been harmed and understanding there's a bigger issue here. We, we want to respond in a way that makes sure that everyone brings the truth to the light. By the way, here's one of the problems with that kind of partisan garbage. And boy, do I want to say the word crap, because that's really what it is. If you hear, and this is what happens in church settings, right? I, m- I remember I had a guy, I- I'm going to be in a hundred different directions here, but I had a guy come to my door and I think he was a Jehovah witness, right? And he's trying to witness to me and I'm like, you know, I'm a four square pastor. I know what you guys believe. I really don't want to take a lot of time arguing. And he said to me, you know, the Jehovah witnesses, we don't have any problems with sexual, you know, with molestation or anything. There's, there's none of that in the Jehovah witness church. And he just said that to me as this old man. And I'm like, Really? And I just read a report about some terrible abuse in the Jehovah Witness Church. And I'm just like, really? That, that's what you're going to go with? Like, if you're a Jehovah Witness, there's going to be only purity. And all the other denominations, you know, and all the other churches have problems. But, but our people, there's nothing wrong. Well, here's what happens with that. And you find this in churches, right? They'll say, you know, that, the wicked Hollywood elite, those people, they're in all their, their sin and their wickedness. It's those people. And then we hear a story that proves it. And we champion it, we bring it out, and we talk about those people, those people, those people. This is what happens when we say those people doing their wicked things prove that they're wicked and we're righteous. This is what happens. So in your church, in your setting, in your group, abuse is happening. Someone is being harmed. Someone is being hurt. But when they hear the leaders say, those people are the evil people with the evil things happening, that person, it makes it harder for them to speak. It makes them afraid to speak, because if they speak, it contradicts the narrative. If you say, oh, it's all just those liberal progressive, or it's all just those conservatives, then it makes the progressive afraid to speak if you just make it that conservatives are a bunch of sexual perverts. Or if you make it just that progressives are sexual perverts, then if the conservative, you you see what happens, they have to hide it, because if they bring it out, if they say anything, then they're going to go against that narrative, and they're going to make that church look bad. The pastor last week just talked about, we're the sanctified ones. We're the, you know the reason you join us? The, you know the reason you're with us? Because we're different than them. And if you share that the person next to you has been harming you, you're going to ruin that narrative. And so you place that burden upon that abused person. So our first response when we hear about abuse isn't just to say, ah, it's just those other people. It's to say, hey, we need to search our hearts and our minds. We need to recognize that that vileness, that that wickedness, that that propensity to harm and to take power and to use it and abuse it can be expressed in every environment, that no one is immune to this, and that we are going to be a place that allows people to speak instead of using a partisan, you know, turning it into a partisan moment. See, right now, the way we respond to the things that are coming out, it's determining whether other people will speak. And if you turn this into, oh, just those liberals or those conservatives, then you're silencing people in your room. I'll tell you this right now. There's people that you know who are silent, and they'll speak depending upon how you respond. And if you serve that partisan demon that makes you the hero and then the villain, 
they're not going to want to speak because some of your heroes have done terrible things. That's the whole problem with this hero-villain narrative. People do terrible things. Not villains and heroes, just people. But we're living in this polarized society with politics. There's no room to apologize. The partisan narrative says our side never apologizes. The Republicans never apologize. The Democrats never apologize. I know some of you will say, well, one side apologizes more than the other. But the reality is the way we're going, there's less and less repentance. The goal is for our side to crush your side, for your side to crush our side. And you can't advance anything noble or righteous or pure or good in an environment that refuses to recognize sin, that refuses to recognize wrongdoing and the need for repentance because every human being will do things wrong on a regular basis. You just can't do that. You can't, you can't have a leader who refuses to admit to their failings. That's not a leader. That's a deceptor in chief. That's actually codifying and serving an author of lies. And if your system promotes to the highest position in the land an author of lies, then that's what you're going to see as the values of the land. But why don't we apologize? Let's get outside of that. I guess it probably made some people upset. Sorry about that. <laughs> why don't we apologize? Well, one of the things to me, one of the reasons I don't think we apologize is we don't understand who we are and we don't understand grace. In my opinion, when we understand grace, we repent. I see grace and love like this. I use this illustration. It's one of the best illustrations that I can use to help me understand why I apologize and why I repent. I'd like you to see yourself as the center of the universe. Some of you already see that. It's not going to be hard. Others, it's going to be more complicated. But just for a second, see yourself as the center of the universe. There you are, the center of the universe. Now draw a circle around yourself. Just, you know, a circle. Put yourself in the middle of that circle. And then I want you to expand that circle. Just begin to expand the circle, maybe where it's, you know, a 10-foot circle. You're in the middle of that circle. Now, just in your mind's eye, watch that circle expand. Wherever you are right now, you're listening while you're in a coffee shop or you're at home, on a treadmill, wherever you are, just watch that circle expand. Expand to the surrounding community. Maybe the circle is as big as the city you're in. Watch that circle expand to as big as the state you're in. Now it's as big as the United States. It's as big as North America. Now watch that circle to be as big as the world. Now I'd like you to watch that circle just expand as rapidly as it can expand, just to go as fast as it can, infinitely out. Just see it go out as far as it can go out. You're going to have it stop eventually because, you know, you just like, what's out? I don't know, just too far. But just have it go out that far. Now see yourself at the center of that circle, okay? Now I want you to name that circle. That circle is God's grace. The fullness of God's grace and God's favor. Now, I want you to see yourself at the center of God's grace. That's the story of the gospel. That you're saved by grace. Unmerited favor, favor, giftings, pleasure, 
God's goodness had nothing to do with you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. God just said, I'm going to give you immense favor and grace. It wasn't because you were sort of doing a good thing and God said, hey, you know, I like Doug a little bit more than other people. It's that God put you at the center of his grace and he gave you the gift of his life, the gift of his love, the gift of his kingdom. He gave you everything. You're at the center of his grace. And why it's important for you to see yourself at the center of his grace is salvation isn't something where you just worked really hard and somehow you got into the kingdom of God. That's not how it worked. God placed you at the center of his love and grace. He gave you his best and placed you at the center of his grace. Now, if you truly believe that you're at the center of God's grace, then you'll let God search your heart. You'll let him search your heart. And if there's any wicked behavior in you, if there's any false notions in you, if there's things in your life that aren't right, you're going to willingly bring them to God. Because you're not on the edges. It's not like, boy, you know, if God finds something out about me, I'm out of here. It's not like you're just holding on, like you're the second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. It's not like you're sitting at the kids' table at Thanksgiving and you don't really belong here. It's you're at the center of God's grace. When you understand your worth, that the cross of Christ is Jesus Christ saying, you have so much value, I've placed you at the center of my grace, then you'll repent. You won't just repent to become a Christian. You'll repent daily to conform yourself to the image of Christ that has been placed in you. From that place of love, from that place of acceptance, you will gladly say, in response to the love and the favor of God, I, I, Lord, I know there's, I did nothing to deserve this, so search my heart. Everything, every wicked attitude, every wicked thought, you take it. You reveal it. But if, but if you don't believe that your worth is in God, if you believe your worth is dependent upon how well you do things, if you think your worth is dependent upon just doing things better than other people and, and, and being a better person than other people, then you won't examine your life. Repentance is about understanding your worth. And people who don't understand their worth do not repent. And that's where, in my opinion, people who do not repent have a different kind of gospel. The gospel is understanding that Jesus Christ is your worth. And because he is your worth, then you can fully repent of anything that's worthless in you. But if you think you've earned your worth and it's by how well you do things, then you're going to justify everything you've done. And, and you can see this in the extreme. Uh, think about someone you know who never apologizes. Think about someone you know who justifies everything in their life. The people I know and again, let's not think about someone that makes you really angry. Think about a, a family member or a friend that you really try to connect with, an aunt or an uncle or a friend, but they just can't apologize. They won't apologize. Maybe a coworker that won't apologize. And think about this kind of personality. They have to be right all the time. You ever meet someone like that? They have to be right all the time. And when they're caught in a lie, they justify it. They they tell you how they they, they weren't lying and when they get caught doing something wrong, they defend what they've done, and they, and they have this habit of being a know-it-all and defending everything they've done, and 
defending and 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 they'll accuse others instead of taking responsibility themselves. You know what that is when someone refuses to apologize, when they defend everything they've done, when they have to be right all the time? That's someone who doesn't have a sense of worth. And they believe that their worth is dependent upon being right. And they believe that if they're wrong, they're worthless. If they're wrong, they're a worthless person. And so in order to maintain being a person of worth and value, they have to be right all the time. And many people like that, if you've been around them, they've often come from abusive backgrounds. They've come from backgrounds where they weren't given much worth or value, where they had very critical families, critical parents, critical. So their way of having worth is to be perfect. I'm going to be perfect all the time, right? But the reality is humans can't be perfect. So they pretend to be perfect and they justify their lives and they act like they're perfect, but they're not. And what does this do? This makes them become rejected by other people. So people reject them, but instead of them just repenting and saying, I am wrong, they justify their wrongness. So more people reject them. They justify their wrongness, which isolates them more. And so they are trapped trying to gain worth and value from a world that begins to despise them because they will not repent and apologize. It's the person that annoys everyone at work because they will not be wrong. They will not apologize. They have to be right. But they're trying to be right because they're trying to gain worth from being right. This has helped me try to love people like that. They're looking for worth. They're looking for value by being perfect. And if they were ever to admit that they're not perfect, they would crumble. It's kind of that all or nothing. Some of you might even be married to people like that where it has to be, I'm perfect, or I'm terrible, but there's no in between. It can't just be, you know, I'm okay person and God loves me, but I made a mistake. It either has to be, I'm a perfect person or I'm a terrible person. Their worth is tied to what they do. So for them to apologize is to admit that they're a terrible person. Sadly, we've made the gospel into that where many people believe that's what makes us Good Christians do good things, and if you do bad things, you're a bad Christian. So if I admit to doing something bad, I'm a bad person, I'm a terrible person. And so what they're really living is a legalistic form of religion. And that's what legalism really is. If you find people where they're like, good Christians do these 10 things, and maybe it's a legalism with good Christians do 100 things, or good Christians just do three things. But their worth is in doing those three things or those 100 things. But if you come to them and say, you know what, you failed at those hundred things, or you failed at those three things, they crumble. They either justify and say, no, I do those three things. How dare you judge me? And they refuse to admit that they failed at those things. Why do they refuse to admit? Because their worth is hinged upon doing those things right. They refuse to repent. And then they become hypocrites. They begin to defend what they're doing and saying, no, I am doing these things right. And people can say that they're, see that they're not doing them right. Or they only justify goodness by those behaviors and other behaviors they don't address at all. So people say, hey, you define Christianity by doing these three things well, but these other things are terrible in your life, and yet you just avoid them. That's the problem with legalism. You define righteousness by doing good behaviors. And so what do you do? You pretend that you're doing the good behaviors. You minimalize when you don't do things right, or you pretend you don't do them, or you change the definition of what is right. And all of this has to do with you believe your worth is dependent upon doing things right. And your ability to love yourself and to love others is based on how well they do these things.
Sadly, you see this legalism occur from people who were raised in religious environments. I've seen people raised in strong religious environments where they had all these rules and all this legalism, and they've left those legalistic environments, but they haven't left the legalism. So they were raised in environments where you had to do 100 things to be right. Now they just have like two things to be right. But they're still just as legalistic, and they still don't apologize, and they still are reluctant to deal with their attitudes, and they still justify their behaviors. And they still find themselves every day on the internet arguing with people and fighting with people and unwilling to repent or apologize or admit to their failings and faults. An unwillingness to admit to your failings and faults is an issue of worth. I'm not talking about repeatedly saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, like someone who's an abuse victim. I'm talking about the freedom where you feel good in God, you feel good about who you are, you feel confident that your worth is in Christ, and from that confidence, you're glad to say, you know, God is good, and I'm content in the Lord, and I just did a really lousy job in my parenting, so I'm glad to repent. God is good, and I'm at peace with who I am in Christ, and so I can repent of that lousy tweet I just sent out. And if you can't remember the last time you repented or the last time you apologized, or if even as I'm sharing these things, you're feeling defensive, there probably is an issue of worth in you that you're struggling with. See, this is what I think the issue is about why we don't apologize and why we don't say we're sorry. It's because we don't have our worth settled at the cross. And so we contend for our worth by refusing to admit to the worthless things we do. And we say that the worthless things we do, or we feel that the worthless things we do are somehow totally tied to us. That if I admit to the fact that what I just did was bad parenting, that I'm a bad person. Well, here's the reality. Good people do bad things. Good husbands make bad choices. It doesn't defend what they've done. But that complexity is a reality. There's so many things we could talk about here. No, you can't just justify bad behavior and say, well, you know, I'm Christ has saved me and forgiven me, so I can just do terrible things and repent about it and no consequences. My belief is that when we're in Christ, we're going to want to desire to do good things and we won't be flippant about sin. But I believe this to be the case. If we understand Christ and the worth of the cross, we're going to grow in our ability to repent and to admit to our failings and our faults. As Christians, we should be leading the charge in showing people how to admit to failings and faults. It's one thing to point out the sins of others. It's amazing. Sometimes people who are raised in legalistic churches they were raised in churches where pastors spent their times calling out the sins of others. There's all kinds of other pastors in churches who don't do that. I don't spend any time in church going, you know, what's wrong with Hollywood and wrong with them or anything. I spend all my time talking about this fact that you and I are the most dangerous people in the room. I can't control other people. I don't have control over anyone else. Ultimately, my life I'm responsible for, and I have to look at the plank in my own eye. And I can speak about the injustices in this world. And I can champion and crusade against any injustice, and I should. And I should facilitate environments where the truth of God is spoken and where people who are abused or oppressed have the right to speak and the right to justice. 
but first and foremost, I must deal with the sin that is in my life. And so it's never one or the other, it's always both. As much time as I spend speaking about the injustices in the world, I better spend some time dealing with the sin in my life. And I am dangerous if I spend all my time and all my energy focusing in on the faults and the failings of the world instead of the brokenness that's within me. But I don't deal with the brokenness within me with this self-hate and this I'm a terrible person and just, no, it's because I know that God loves me that I can let his love change me and I can admit to where I'm broken. Now, I can say all this, and I know some people still won't repent. Some people still won't apologize. And that's a part of me that I just don't understand. I don't understand. As a pastor, to me, I believe revival occurs this way. If we want revival to occur in the world, really, honestly, this is how it would occur. By the way, if everyone who listened to this show, I don't have that many listeners. But if every one of us honestly prayed and sincerely asked the Lord to show us an area where we could genuinely repent where we could genuinely repent, apologize, and start over, that's where revival occurs. It doesn't mean we don't still do the other things we do in our life. But if we could genuinely do that in our relationships, if you're married, genuinely repent, not where they have to come to you and say, but genuinely go, you know, regardless of the things that you're doing wrong, here's some areas in my life, you know, you know, you still shouldn't have done that. You're still wrong in that area, and that's fine. But I, I, I have not been the husband that I should be. And I'm sorry. There's no justification for it. And I'm asking the Lord to help me on this. I've not been the father I should be. I've not been the friend I should be. I've not been doing well on social media. You know, I've just, I haven't. My attitude has not been Christ-like. Whatever the Lord has shown you, if we did that on a regular basis, the kingdom of God would advance. Or we can just spend all our time focusing in on the sins of others. Because there's enough brokenness around us, we can just spend our time on others. But the reality is you're the most dangerous person in your life, and I'm the most dangerous person in my life. I'm realizing for me that I have a lot broken within me. And it's easy just to focus in on you. But for me, there's some things that the Lord wants to deal with. Because I've become a decent communicator, but it doesn't mean that my life is aligning with my communication. And the only way it's going to align is if I understand at the center of God's grace, God wants some revelation. He wants me to be honest about where I'm broken as a husband, where I'm incomplete as a father where I haven't been that good of a friend, where I haven't been that healthy on the internet, on Twitter, on Facebook, where I haven't been right in the communication with the show even, the things I've said that haven't been edifying. Those are the areas to me where revival occurs. All right, make room for the Lord. He knows you by name and he loves you dearly. I'd love for you to come to my podcasts by going to fairlyspiritual.org. You can also get my book at Amazon. I was going to say Amazon.com, but you can find Amazon. The book is The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. I so much appreciate you listening to the show. 
please share it with other people. You're the messengers. You are the ones who get it out there. I'll see you next time. God bless you. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through, but you've spoken my dreams with you